0: and be well. Krista Reimel is the founder, co-owner, and CEO of The Point Retreats and Rentals. Krista has worked in the healthcare industry for over 20 years in emergency medicine, cardiac care, orthopedics, primary care, diabetes education, and endocrinology. She has also pursued advanced education with the Harvard Lifestyle Medicine Institute and functional medicine with the Institute for Functional Medicine. Krista invites you to come to the point to immerse yourself in an integrative wellness experience that reconnects you with your inner purpose and passions while learning and living a lifestyle that improves your health span I'm producer Marshall Saunders, and I will be interviewing Krista for this episode. So yeah. how, do, how does it feel to be on the other side of the uh, interview table? Yeah.
1: You know, it it feels good. I actually really appreciate the fact that you mentioned this as an idea and a possibility because there's so much rich history to capture here. Um, You know, not just in the last six years of the point being uh, in its inception, but like prior to that. And little bits and pieces here and there have been captured. But I feel like uh, probably the history, legacy of the land um, and the people here has not been captured very well. So I'm excited um, to be here.
0: Tell me the story of this physical place. This is the point retreats. How did it start off? How did it come into being?
1: Yeah, it's a a good question, and thanks for asking it. Um, So right outside the room here where we're sitting today, Marshall, there's the stone sitting there that has the numbers 1914 carved Hmm. in it. So in 1914, the first homestead was put on this property on this peninsula. And since that time, only two families have owned the property, uh, my family being one of them. And my parents um, took us up here as kids and invited, uh, in particular, my dad's side of the family up here for many summer vacations at a resort uh, on this chain of lakes, but a couple lakes over. And as they could see how much joy and laughter and fun we had as a... Uh, immediate family and our extended family, my dad was like, Oh, I want to have this all the time. I want to have this more than just this one week during the summer. And so my parents started to look for property up here and, um, stumbled upon this beautiful piece of land. Uh, it did not look like this when they purchased it, there were little tiny cabins in each spot that you now see cabins. Um, but when they purchased it, they kind of had a vision that in time they would build something different um, when they could. And then in 1997, they started um, making those plans come to fruition, and they found a really talented local um, log home builder and, and, and craftsman, I would say, um, named Larry Schultz, who owned a resort just down the road from here. Uh, he and his brother, Ron, um, became fast friends of my parents, and they designed all of these cabins. Um, within that, there are so many local artists and hands in every place and space that you see. My parents really um, both grew up in small towns in Minnesota, and they really value the small towns that we have and the people who bring a lot of life and a lot of talent um, and a lot of beauty um, within their trades in in different areas of Minnesota. And so they worked with as many local artists as they could, um, designers, craftsmen. And uh, in 1999, they completed the cabin that we're sitting in, um, which is now a full log cabin. And then what they did is they took the cabin that was sitting here and they moved it over to that middle cabin Mm. that you can see kind of just out this window facing uh, Bertha Lake. And they half-logged it, um, but that is actually uh, an early 1900s cabin that's just been half-logged with a few updates. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, the far cabin over there, which we call the clamshell cabin because it faces clamshell lake, Mm -hmm. that one was completed in 1997. Um, Mm. And then we have a little tiny boathouse down uh, just to... You're right there on the lake, and that was half logged also. But the actual structure is a very early 1900 boathouse structure, which oh. now will not even be allowed to be built because it's like sure. right there on the edge on of the, the water. water. Yeah, right. yeah. And then there's this peninsula kind of going out um, just behind you, and hence um, how the name of the point came to be.
0: So how did this become the Point Retreats?
1: So that's that's another journey um, in. Gosh, I guess I want to say it was probably about 10 years ago. um, My dad became quite ill and had a lot of health problems. And at the time I had three young children. Uh, My husband's working, I'm working. Uh, I was going to school and trying to manage helping my parents as much as I could. And my sister's helping my parents as much as they could with also working. And as my dad's... uh, disease became more severe and significant. And my mom was subsequently diagnosed with Alzheimer's in the middle of his um, terminal illness. We just decided they needed more support um, and more than I could give them at that time with all the other demands I had. So I decided um, to step away from my healthcare administration job, which surprised a lot of people and even myself. Um, Because
0: you had gotten a master's degree. You were very much on the I was on on the the career track,
1: the track and I was climbing the ladder and I had sights that were, you know, big and, um, I kind of just had to, had a few just moments in there where I was like, okay, ironically, I, I I had a lot of time with my dad when I was a young girl, relatively speaking, I don't take that for granted, but given my dad's career, I didn't have a lot of time with him. Um, and we really became close in my adult life. Hmm. And I felt like I didn't really want to sacrifice any more time with my dad. And so I decided that he was more important uh, than my career at that time, which intrinsically was a hard decision for him because he's a career driven person and for me, but the decision was made and I have not regretted it ever uh, since I made it and actually felt like this huge relief kind of once I made it and was surprised how quickly I was able to flip into a gear of just being daughter, wanting to be there for her dad and her own family. Um, so I stepped out for gosh, it was probably about just shy of a year and a half, um, and then my dad passed away. Actually, ironically, I was thinking about it when we were driving up here um, seven years ago this week. He passed away. You know, we just spent a lot of time together and so many, so many hard moments in those seven, those years that I that year and a half that I spent with him before he passed. But also a gift. And he looked at me in one of our last conversations and he said, "You know, Krista." I don't know what your path's going to be. I used to think you knew and I used to think I knew. He's like, but it's going to look really different. He's like, but you're going to do something that's going to lead something great someday. And I was like, I agree with you, dad, but I really have no idea where that's going to take me either. And I'm just going to trust you're going to be watching me from up above. And, uh, after he passed, you know, my family continued to come up to the point space here. And my sister and I one day went on a long walk up the road and she's also in healthcare. And I was really grappling with, do I go back in? Do I stay out? I had stepped out just long enough to have a really good look in the rear view mirror. And mm-hmm. I was like, gosh, is healthcare mm-hmm. so wonderful and so broken. Right. And like, what capacity do you really have to change as one tiny being in this really big system that struggles with change. And I kind of am a change agent. I'm not change adverse. I'm risk tolerant when it comes to a lot of change. And my sister and I started talking about, well, what if we could bring groups of healthcare professionals up here and one, give them space and time to take care of themselves and two, really talk about how we could do medicine, different, better, um, and more, uh, holistically and, and really kind of from a root cause perspective. And, um, the idea was sparked there really, I mean, and then it was like six months of lots of conversations, um, lots of think tanks, uh, a lot of different input from a lot of people that I really respect. This was back in 2016, the idea catapulted and in 27, we launched the point retreats.
0: What is the history of this place before you owned it? Mm -hmm. Is there any uh, Native history here?
1: Well, you can probably tell by walking in the cabin that there's a lot of Native American artifacts here.
0: mm -hmm, Uh. A lot
1: of Native American decor and... um, there is a strong native american history on the Mm. land there's actually six excavated native american burial mounds on the property oh wow Um, so you can see that hill right out there um there's a couple subsequently and those are excavated native american burial mounds um and we do have a couple of books that give a little bit on in particular what uh, was found when they dug up the mounds but um that happened in the 1950s and unfortunately it was not with permission from Mm -hmm. the tribes um at that time there weren't all the same uh laws rules regulations in place and so
0: and sensitivities mm -hmm. to that
1: so the artifacts were taken without the tribe's permission and um that's still being worked on and rectified and um when i you know growing up coming here i used to have friends who would be like like are there weird things that happen here because of the native american native american burial mounds and I've, I would be lying if I didn't say there's not a different energy and presence here. And right. I've had a few things. I'm like, oh, that just feels different. Mm. Um, but I've always felt that we're at peace with the land. We, my parents, it, it kind of through spoken and unspoken words, just let us know that that was a really important part of the history of this land. And and they tried to show their respect to it. And you can see their, their way of showing respect was bringing a lot of that in here. And they worked with a lot of native American artists, Hmm. um, and have some beautiful artifacts in here and artwork. Um, that was really their way of keeping the history alive on the land. I think my dad was in particular really intrigued by the native American culture here and history here. And as we continue to evolve and learn, and unlearn, I guess I would say, um, Sean Sherman, who we're going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks. Uh, he is the founder of the sous chef and a Womney restaurant. He through, uh, culinary arts, uh, the native culinary arts and history around, you know, cooking and foraging has brought indigenous food back to life, I guess I would say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, given a big part of what we do here is centered around, um, health and well-being, including nutrition. Uh, we were through another podcast cause we had Sean and I met each other. And ironically, Sean knows the brothers that built all our oh, cabins was sure. so like, you know, the world is so small. Right. Right. And, um, Sean came here and he was so, he's so wise, so gracious, so humble, Um, he really taught me a lot about even in here, what we had, whether our intentions were to be respectful and keep elements of history alive, um, or not a few things we had here weren't in, um, in his eyes, you know, paying the most respect. So Mm. we just kind of tweaked a few things. Um, and then he asked if I would do land recognition on the mounds when he was here. And initially I was like, Oh, me, like me do that. Mm-hmm. And I was taken aback. So I'm like, I don't even, I've never been to one. I don't even know how that would unfold. I don't right. know what that means. Um, and Sean was so just gracious in the way he approached it, but firm, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of just like, no, that needs to be you. Mm-hmm. And I like wrestled in my head for at least a couple months. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I'm Googling, you know, land recognitions. Right. I'm like, how, what am I supposed to say? And as the process evolved and my writing started to unfold, Anne Sean also asked me to read this book called An Indigenous People's History of the United States, which was like all unlearning learning what right, I had learned, right. right? Like hard, like painful. And I was like, right. oh, it didn't, you know, it's hard to, Go. I still have to have a lot of humility myself in it, even though it might not have been at my hands that the mounds were excavated or sure. any, you know, wrongs were done on this land. Like, I am a landowner, so it's still my responsibility to take part in making more sure. peace and more right here than wrong. Um, and to this day, it's like that land recognition I just hold with a lot of heart and soul um, and appreciation for the fact that Sean kind of pushed me a little bit um, to do that. And it made me connect with the history more. There's only 100 uh, Native American burial mounds uh, in the state of Minnesota. A lot of them have eroded, and we've had a few that have eroded even here. But. Um, but I feel like I have some due diligence to keep that part of the history here alive and be very mindful of it and respectful of it. And I did have a few members from the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe also come out, and we did a burial mound uh, management plan. And so there were a few things we just tweaked on the property that, you know, again, you just go in with your own lens of what you know, right? And I had to yeah. open my eyes to a much bigger lens and be like, oh, oh I'm like yes, that makes perfect sense. I'm sorry I didn't see that before, and we'll we'll fix that. It's been really beautiful. I mean, I love the Native American history, mm-hmm. um, but I am really committed to keeping it alive here as best as we can for as long as we can and hoping that that will follow for, you know, it's already been here thousands of years, right? So I hope that continues um, because I think it adds a lot of beauty here. And everybody has different energetic fields and intuitions or have tapped into them. And I, I do feel like it brings a different energy to this space, but I'm very mindful. Um, I did have someone who, who had Native American ancestors give them messages to relay to me, um, here. And the message was make sure that you don't ever leave or come without saying that you're, you know, saying some kind of form of thank you to the land. I was like, Oh, you know what? Here's like, I'm can be driven achieving going we get here we get busy and ever since then I've done my best to do that when I arrive and or when I
0: leave. Anyone can come and you know obviously mm-hmm. rent out the point for their retreat whatever mm-hmm. their retreat might be what what is your mission mm-hmm. with the retreats that you have what's your goal?
1: Very good question and gosh we've asked that I can't even count how many times anymore because it's morphed and it's changed. And of course, you know, December of 2019 was a really interesting time to start a partnership that was surrounded around gathering healthcare. communities of people, especially in healthcare, full time right. to get, you know, in close proximity.
0: And then March 2020
1: <laughs> happened. It was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, I have no idea what's going to happen now. Um, but for me, you know, it it really started with trying to... Have a stronger voice in healthcare for looking at medicine and health with a different angle and lens. And instead of being so siloed and so reactive, trying to look at providing healthcare that was really proactive and um, comprehensive, like whole being care, right? So I would always get stuck in this space of, like, why is it, you know? This for that, and that for that, and that for that, and you go here for this, and there for that, and no one talks to each other in the middle of all that, and the patient's kind of lost in the process. And we go, What would happen if we brought together a group of practitioners and clinicians from all different kinds of disciplines and all different kinds of specialties, and we worked together and we tried to look at how we could do health better for people um, collaboratively? And so, the very first retreat I had was actually a I'd say 35 plus healthcare professionals from personal trainers to acupuncturists, to primary care docs, to endocrinologists, to naturopaths, to psychologists, to uh, homeopathic uh, clinicians. So we like had this really diverse group of people and everyone was kind of sitting in the room looking at each other like, this is very abnormal. And I just tried to normalize the fact that everybody is kind of seeking different outlets for health. Mm -hmm. And if we don't start better understanding what everyone is doing, we aren't going to be able to do our best for the person we're all trying to treat. And it was one of the most memorable retreats I've had. Uh, We've had, I mean, so many beautiful things unfolded, a few tough moments unfolded where people didn't see things the same. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a lot of misunderstandings that soon became understood Mm -hmm. um, and a lot more partnerships that were developed, which, was a big part of my initial intent in developing the Point Retreats.
0: So your dad, he wrote a book called To Win, Play Boldly. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously we wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for your dad's legacy of mm-hmm. buying the property, renovating it, mm-hmm. uh, passing it down. Um, it's a it's an interesting book. Mm-hmm. You can kind of uh, tell his personality. Uh-huh. <laughs> he doesn't use a lot of words, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, he lost his arm as a young man, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, though he goes into a lot of the facts Mm -hmm. of the recovery and so on, uh, I think in like five sentences, Mm -hmm. he was like, boy, this was really hard and this was really depressing, Mm -hmm. but I got better. (laughs) And then it was, yeah, boom. (laughs) Okay. Like, uh, I mean, I think you could have written an entire book about Uh the emotional drain of that incredible situation and how it totally changed your life. And he's like, well, I had to figure out what I was going to do. So, you know, and then he's on, right. Uh, was that kind of his personality?
1: Yes. You know, it was interesting when I took that time to be more present, to help care for my dad in his final years, we wrote his memoir together Mm -hmm. along with, um, a man named Jeff, who was kind of the ghost writer
0: and did the introduction. Yeah. And
1: he did the introduction. Yeah. He actually worked at a, at American express Ameriprise, um, with my dad and had, had written for the company. So that's kind of how we connected with Jeff and said, Hey, you know, do you want to do this memoir? It had always been on my dad's bucket list, but there were some challenges cause his health kept doing this. So we had to like pause and then start and pause and start. But I, I read it now and I, I love that you can even feel him in it. And mm-hmm. sometimes while we were trying to write that, cause I'm, I have, I have a lot of my dad in me, but I have a lot more words that I tend to mm-hmm. use and more emotions. He was very logical, very black and white. Um, had a, had a certain looks that you were like, I know what you're saying, <laughs> but oh, looks, he didn't right. use a lot of words. Um, and so I kept trying to get him to elaborate and it just wasn't in his wheelhouse. He's like, no, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but dad, that's like, you lost your right, arm.
0: Right, right. I'm like, I'm pretty Let's sure talk there's more, more about this. Well, I think we covered it. <laughs> I think we covered it.
1: But you know, to, to that, um, topic, you know, for my dad too, he wasn't, he was always an optimist. He didn't let himself stay stuck in hardship for long um, or negative thinking patterns for long. And, but as I kind of started to weed through a little bit around, especially the loss of his arm in our conversations, I realized there was so much trauma there for him that he just wasn't ready to Mm -hmm. go into. Um, And I just kind of had to respect that this was his story. Um, Do writing, A memoir with someone is an interesting process because there were a number of, at least a handful of things I should say in the book that I was like, Oh, that's so not how I remember that. Mm -hmm. But I had to go, you know, this isn't my story. This is his story. And I had to just kind of let it be his voice. And I actually love that now, even though my dad could fill a book that's like 10 times that size with all of the things he did, learned, saw, experienced. Um, but your point that's so him right so I love that it's him and right. he really wanted it to be something that would be an heirloom for his kids and his grandkids and great grandkids and right. so I'm assuming if that's gonna keep coming out gonna be like well why didn't he say all oh, I give a lot more about his arm right
0: and he mentioned several times you know I worked a lot
1: yeah
0: you know and uh, what do you say 60 80 hours a week
1: mm-hmm.
0: and every every night though though dinner was a staple or Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. when he was in town Mm -hmm. but um you know that you know he always brought home a ton of work Mm -hmm. and you know once dinner was done it was working all night and 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 i think i sensed a a bit of regret that though he didn't regret his uh corporate life Mm -hmm. you know Mm because he was so successful and and i think he was really really proud of what they did right um you know he regretted that that might have um missed out a bit on family.
1: It is interesting and I kind of you know even watched my business partner from afar, you know, Chuck now and and it's so this is int- Chuck
0: running Chuck running
1: yeah, my business partner here. Right. And you know the difference in having a dad CEO that I grew up with and how I see him doing things. Some similarities, some differences, but um I don't know if it was my dad, the era, you know, he, the company he ran, mm-hmm. um but my dad was a super driven person. And a lot of that I think erupted was probably always in him, but erupted with the loss of his arm. He Had to his, be. his his like mindset to overcome was incredible. Mm-hmm. The things I saw him do. I just didn't know any different. I grew up with a dad with one arm. Right. I would notice other people noticing him. I would notice he'd be in the paper, you know, and they'd be like, Oh, one armed CEO or one armed golfer or whatever. But he, for me, he was just my dad, but I, I knew something big had happened to him, and he really didn't speak about it mm-hmm. much. I can't, really was not in his wheelhouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even to the day he died, there was really only like one thing that he struggled to do. I remember watching him getting ready in the morning, and he could even tie a tie. He figured out how to tie a tie with one hand. But he could not tie his own shoes. Mm-hmm. So as kids, we would tie his shoes, or my mom would tie his shoes, or he'd ask a, have to ask a buddy to... Other than that, I can't think of anything he didn't figure out how to do with one arm, which is pretty remarkable.
0: So you talked about, you know, how much you changed your life. Yeah. You you were on kind of the same track. Yeah. I'm going to become an executive. I'm going to become of a really difficult area. Mm -hmm. Being Mm -hmm. a hospital administrator and healthcare administrator Mm -hmm. where the margins are so Mm -hmm. thin. And, I mean, you really just... It's all-consuming. So when you decided to uh, quote-unquote give that all up or or change directions, were you at all informed by, you know, my dad kind of worked a lot and maybe maybe we all don't have to take that same track and still be okay?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean you don't, the reality is, you know, people see they will look at CEO lifestyles and mm-hmm. go, Oh, everything is perfect right. because they have that fun, you know, that level job, that income, right. that lifestyle. And when you live through it, however, I would, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like my dad had so many incredible opportunities and people in his life because of what he did, but he made a lot of sacrifices and he was pretty honest about them in his second half of life because he just wasn't able to be there for a lot. And I think in his mind, he knew our mom was such a wonderful human. He's like, well, they've got Shirley, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're okay. And he did his study things that were consistent. Um, but he did, he and I, a few years, uh, into his retirement, you know, when I was going back and getting my master's, he's like, well, Christy's like, I think you're going to struggle. Um, if you're going to try and be CEO of a hospital or healthcare system someday, because you really want to be present with your kids. Also, he's like, I see both sides of you. You have a leadership drive, but you right. really want to be available and present with your family and your kids. And I kind of pushed back at the time. I was like, oh, that's so annoying. Right. <laughs> like you can do both. I
0: can have it all. I
1: can have it all. I can do it all. And there are a lot of people that have done it in a maybe more balanced way than say my dad did in the 80s and 90s. But the truth of the matter is, if you're going to run a Fortune 500 company, you're definitely making sacrifices. Right. and you just are. And it doesn't mean there aren't still many great things and many great moments and a great, you know, life. Mm -hmm. And my dad, I have to say to his credit in that though, for as much as he worked and he would say this to us, he would be like, Hey, you know what? Most CEOs get divorced. Most CEOs, their kids, you know, kids don't talk to him on drugs, didn't finish school. Like everybody wants to paint a certain picture, but it's not all like roses and champagne and wonderful. Um, and he was really proud of the fact that although we had plenty of family stuff and ups and downs, you know, here, like we got to see him. Right. So he didn't have to be anything, but just the person that we really loved most. Right. Right. Just Dave, brother, son, um, dad, grandpa. And he was an incredible human, like incredible. Probably he will always be, the best person that I know. Um, doesn't mean perfect, but he was the best. And he would like laugh like a 10 year old kid Mm -hmm. and he would tell terrible jokes with his brothers and he would, you know, swear on the golf course. Mm -hmm. And we're like, that's the guy, like, that's the guy we really like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but we knew he was called to do something big Mm -hmm. and he did and he did it well. Um, but I have had a lot of like self-talk, like, you know, just in watching him. And of course what I'm doing here is like not even remotely on any scale of where he was. Like I'm, they're not in the same plane, but I have to keep my drive in check a little bit because I could fall into a pattern of what was modeled for me is work, 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 work. You don't need to sleep. You don't really need to eat that much. You don't need to work out. Like you just, You work, you go, like you are driven, you go, you achieve. Um, and my sisters and I have all had to kind of grapple with that a little bit in our careers and lives. And I think we've all made conscious decisions to keep that part of ourselves in check, um, sometimes better than others. But I, I don't want my time here with my kids to just be at the end of my time. We'll return to rebel and be well in just a moment, but first a few words about our sponsors. I wanna say a special thank you to everyone at Self-Esteem Brands. We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. You can find more information about Self-Esteem Brands in the show notes. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every Event at the Point retreats. To find out more about Dry Farm Wines, find their link in our show notes. Thank you Paddle North for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle To find out more information about paddle north find their link in our show notes the point retreats and rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside brainerd minnesota the property's private peninsula boasts over 1500 feet of stunning shoreline spanning three lakes on the pristine whitefish chain of lakes whether you need time to renew reset or reconnect we have a space that can host your family group or team Click on the show notes to find out more about the Point Retreats and the Point Rentals.
0: You know, he did die relatively young. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, maybe that lifestyle of Mm -hmm. constant Mm -hmm. stress, constant Mm -hmm. work, uh, not a lot of relaxation, not a lot of... uh, Regrouping maybe once in a while up here, yeah. but not every day, yeah. you know Like we yeah. need to regroup almost every day and he he might not have had that and might not have ever been modeled So therefore right. he didn't even know what he was not doing right and you know 73 is pretty mm-hmm. young to die I mean, maybe not so much seven years ago, but you know it, yeah. it, it It's not unlikely that he could have lived to his mid-80s, you know right. Um, right. and So that might've had a cost too. Who knows? Uh,
1: No, it, it definitely did. Yeah. I'm not shy to say that. And I don't know that he would do it
0: different (laughs) (laughs) because
1: he had my dad and my parents had a fabulous life, like a great life. Um, and I don't know that he would have traded any of those long moments, days per se that he spent, you know, working on planes in New York. I mean, he had a place in New York that he spent, you know, half his time there. Um, But it took a toll, especially the last, I'd say, 15 years of his career when he was CFO and then CEO. Um, He was, you know, and it's different. Like, there weren't mobile phones and there weren't, you know, email was just kind of a thing. There there wasn't Zoom. I mean, everything was in person. So he's flying everywhere around the world, as is everybody else, just meeting. And he definitely had some unfortunate turns in his health that were out of his control, you know, as, as, things with health go right. Um, but his corporate, his corporate demands were definitely, um, coming into play, um, with the things that happened with him. And, um, you know, he sacrificed sleep and he was like, I mean, literally, I think the guy slept like four hours a night Hmm. on average. And, um, part of that was work. Part of it was he had bad sleep habits. But, um, I remember as a little girl, he would come home with stacks of papers and after dinner, um, would go sit on the couch and start going through all the papers and signing them. So I would just grab the stack of papers he'd it in the garbage and bring them and sit next to him. Like I would just start Sign signing name. stuff in my crayons and I'm like, I don't even know what we're doing here, but I'm next to him. So that was that my, was that was my modeling, but it was very sweet, you know, and he just kind of got a chuckle out of it. But, um, But, you know, at that point it was like a lot of, you know, dinners out, a lot of travel, um, cocktail parties, demands, lack of sleep, traveling internationally, going between different time zones, um, and high stress. For a man of not a lot of words, he loved the people in the company. Mm -hmm. Like my parents' golden years were for sure their years in American Express Mm -hmm. and American Express financial advisors, um, like my dad never lost that small town boy in him, mm-hmm. uh, even though he was a great leader, he really cared about people. He really cared about people wanting to feel like they were connected to their work, to the purpose of their work. Um, he wanted to be a really good leader in the company, and so he worked really hard. My dad was brought up in uh, by my grandparents, who were phenomenal people, kind of, but they were in that kind of Calvin those who know, you know, John Calvin, like, uh, mm-hmm. that religion, he went to Calvin, college. Reformed, Calvin yeah. college, Calvin, right. um, elementary school, Calvin Christian school. But so my dad had a, he was very religious. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of, uh, religion in their life. And in a little teeny tiny town of Pease, Minnesota, which like, don't blank, you'll pass it and miss it. Church was a huge part of their community in their life. Um, and you know, I think, served a huge purpose in my dad's life, getting through some of the tough things that he did. Um, And he definitely wanted to incorporate that into his family life. Um, And he was a a strong, I would say, servant leader. And I think a lot of that came from his faith. Um, But to your point, my dad just being kind of a man of not a lot of words, He did express, there are a few times where he expressed emotions that were not his normal, right? And um, the very, very first time he had a significant health episode is when he was 40 and he um, had pneumonia that he worked through, right, and ignored and then ended up with something called uh, endocarditis and was put on a a ventilator for Uh two weeks and they, called everybody in and said he's not going to live and say goodbye and um i remember there being this moment when they were trying to initially put the tube down his throat and he was still kind of awake and he was fighting and fighting and fighting it and they were like we were in the room and then they were like everyone needs to get out of the room and it was not going well um and then all of a sudden it was just like whew, like he just settled down in the bed and they got the, uh, tube down his throat and he was intubated and they were ventilating him. And I was like, just everything in that moment felt weird, like just strange. And, um, I just assumed they'd given him a ton of medication and knocked him out. And as he came, um, to being awake again, a few weeks later, he told us that in that moment that we, you know, heard and kind of saw unfolding that he had an out-of-body experience and he went to heaven and he saw heaven and he saw God. And he said it was, uh, he couldn't even find words to describe it. nor I'm sure he had more in his head. And, and unfortunately that he is a man, a few words, he didn't say a lot of them, but he just said all of a sudden he had no fear of dying, zero fear of dying. And that's what he could say to us. And he's like, and I just let go. And I'm like, if I meant to go here, I'm fine. And if I meant to go back there, I'm fine. And he went back down here. His work wasn't done. And you'll hear, you'll read in his book multiple times. He said, you know, um, God has a reason and God has a purpose and God had a plan. And my dad was a very strong steward of that in his life. And, um, he didn't wear it on his sleeve. Like, I don't think he walked in the board meeting and, you know, outwardly was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of faith or let's start with prayer or anything like that. But I knew it impacted his life tremendously from being a young boy, on. Um, and it, um, I think even in his final days, you know, it, his last years were hard. I mean, hard. I wouldn't wish them upon anybody. The things he went through were absolutely awful. Um, and I don't know that he would have gotten through those if he didn't have the faith that he had to be quite frank. Um, so I think, uh, he's a very spirit filled man and, it was deep, maybe, maybe quieter at times, but deep.
0: So why um, did he why did he call you a rabble rouser?
1: Ah, I figured that was gonna come out. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those things where I literally grabbed the book. I was upstairs at their house. I think I was staying there a night or two because I knew we were gonna have a few days right. of working on it. And I was upstairs at like midnight reading the book. I'm like, <gasps>
0: What? And you—you you were the only one he called out. Totally, and I'm like, what about the other two? <laughs> <didn't>,
1: <laughs> like, they didn't. they got a things. pass, yeah. especially my older sister. My middle <laughs> sister was kind of a saint, but um, he
0: just didn't know about it. <laughs> she was, yes,
1: she was better <laughs> at hiding things. Where I was just, in all honesty, you know, looking back now as a teenager, I probably was poking and prodding a little bit to be like, hey, I'm here. Okay. Um, but I also liked to challenge. Um, I had a why coach do a big assessment assessment and my why ended up being to challenge. So I did like to challenge in our family too. I kind of liked to be the one that would be like, but why, and why do we have to do it like that? And like, Mm -hmm. can we do it different? And I'm sure after a long 80 hour work week, my dad was like, Oh, great. Like, now I got to Mm -hmm. (laughs) deal with all the things she wants to challenge and ask why, but, um, you know, my dad, my both my parents, they had different upbringings, small town, and I think he was kind of brought up in a more conservative um, small town lifestyle, which was wonderful. Um, but I think it took a little time for him to kind of adjust that maybe his small town upbringing wasn't going to necessarily translate to like how his three daughters took on life in the city. Um, and I didn't really like to follow all the rules,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I'm not... You know, fortunately, my husband was a bigger red bull rouser than myself, but he, so he's like, Krista, seriously, like your rap sheet is like (laughs) not very exciting. But in my family, I was definitely the challenger and would just be like, I'm going to do it different. So, um, I was probably a thorn in his side for a bit, but that's why now when I see parents getting kind of annoyed with their teenagers, I'm like, it could serve them later in life. Just hang in there. It might come around to be a good thing. Um... And even for his own health, you know, there were so many times we'd get an answer from a physician and I'd be like, mm-mm, no, right. I'm like, that is not the be all end all. I'm like, there are more options. I'm like, so let's explore them. And like, let's talk about them. Let's not keep him in the closet and let's give him all the information that he needs so he can make the best decision he can. And I had one, I'll never forget this, a cardiologist come in his room before he was going to go and have, um, a, portion of his lung removed. And it was a, it was a big surgery and kind of earlier on in his many health trials and tribulations. And I said, he, I I can see the rhythm he's on in, on the, on the telemetry machine. I'm like, he's not going into surgery in that rhythm, unless the cardiologist clears him. I said, I, he's not going. And I don't get like this very often. So people might be surprised to see the side, but I do have it. And the cardiologist came in and He's like, who's the bulldog who's halting the surgery? And my sisters are like, her. <laughs> and my dad kind of laughed and was like, oh. But at the same time, I'm like, he is not a normal sinus rhythm. Like, he's having some issues here. And he, you'd need to look at that and just address it before he goes down into surgery and a problem happens. So hmm. I think I just liked to look at doing things differently. And so it kind of makes me chuckle now because. All of this, right? right? Like, neither he or I, when we we're having some of our final conversations around what life was going to continue to bring for myself, my sisters, all our kids, would he ever have been like? I think this is going to unfold here.
0: Right.
1: Um, so it took some definite outside the box thinking.
0: So you went from a rabble rouser to rebel and be well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not too far to go from rabble to rebel, right? Yeah. So what is rebel and be well?
1: Yeah. So that actually comes from my own experiences in healthcare, um, working as both a nurse and a healthcare administrator and rebel and be well is kind of this push to say, we don't have to succumb to this mindset of like our destiny is sickness. Our destiny is illness. Um, granted we all age. I don't have this mindset of, Oh, we're meant to live for forever. Um, but I think I have seen so many people live with significant sickness and illness, um, and kind of just become complacent. Like there's nothing different or better and rebel and be well is like, no, you actually can like do a lot within your own power and control to shift your health and change it for the better and be far more well than sick. Um, and I had to kind of humble myself when I was leading a team in the HealthEast care system. Um, and we were in charge of taking care of about 40,000 patients roughly with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And we had, you know, all kinds of docs, nurses, uh, dietitians, all kinds of people on our team. And the demands were really high. Um, and I had a patient asked to speak to me specifically. Um, she went settle for any other remedies people were trying to give her. She's like, I want to speak to the person who's leading the team. And she came in my office and she said, I have diabetes and all I hear is what medication I should take by people who look sicker than I do. And I
0: was like, Oh wow.
1: wow. Yeah. I was like, I mean, initially I, I had to kind of put myself in check cause I wanted to Kind of go, oh my gosh, do you know how hard everybody's working? Like our docs are working 24 seven and they're on call and our diabetes educators can only see so many people like, but I had to stop and put myself in check and I knew she was kind of talking probably, you know, directly and indirectly about myself. And I'm like that she's actually, she's right. I had to pause and go, you know, I thought of everyone on our team Like we are not our best selves and we are not at our optimal health. And we are trying to promote that in the people we serve. So that's a fair, Mm -hmm. it's a really fair statement. I said, I don't know how to fix it. I'm like, but I promise you, I will bring it to the team's attention and it's not going to leave my mind. Clearly it hasn't because I'm still here. (laughs) And at the time there was this big initiative in health East to have all these one-on-one meetings and go through all these A3s and lean and a lot of business um initiatives that were taking priority and and business initiatives in healthcare is always a little messy because mm-hmm. you're like, but I have people on the front lines that need a lot of help, but it's a business that has to operate and see, you know somewhere hopefully you can meet in the middle. Um, but I was getting burnt out on all of these meetings because I was like, I really don't need to meet with people that I keep meeting with anymore. Like we're just having the same conversations and it's wasting my time and we're not really solving anything. And I remembered what that patient brought to me. And I took it upon myself and this is where the rebel rouser I think comes in handy. But I was like, you know, you know, I need a one-on-one is with myself. I'm like, I need to put myself in some kind of priority around my own health because I wasn't going to the gym, I was eating on the go, I was not sleeping, I was doing all the same things that, you know, I watched my dad do. And I, that was the start of me going, okay, I'm going to put a one-on-one on on my schedule for one hour, once or twice a week, and I'm going to go to the gym. And Lo and behold, it was like a transformational experience for me in a lot of ways. Um, And then I went to our team and I kind of told them what I was doing. And I said, you know what? I didn't ask my boss for permission. I don't know what the company would think of this, but I feel so different. I'm showing up different. They could see that. I said, I really want you to adopt this same practice. So I asked the entire team of probably 40, 50 people to do the same and boy, did I get pushed back. The docs mm. were like, we can't see our patients as is. We don't have time to do this. You know, every, everybody don't have time, don't have resources, right. too many patients, too many things. I'm like, okay, then you're gonna end up burning yourself out right. and just like I was and M. And I'm like, and then we're just enabling the cycle that we don't want our patients to do. Like, how can right. we tell our patients to work out, eat better, time their medication, right? Blah, 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 when we can't do it ourselves. Right. So I challenged us to do it for six months. And, um, at the end of those six months, I was called into my boss's office and I was like, Oh, and she said, Chris, something's happening in your team. And she said, and I don't know what it is, but there's something going on. She's like, what is it? I was like, okay. I'm like, well, okay, here's the scoop. Kind of told her the whole story. And I said, I'm totally asking for forgiveness. I didn't ask for permission. I don't know if I need permission or forgiveness, but I guess I'm asking for both because, people are changed. Like they're showing up with so much more capacity. Their cups are so much more full and they feel cared for. And that's what we're about. We're in the business of caring for people. So I can't neglect my own team. And she just kind of looked at me. She's like, well, it's probably good. You didn't ask for permission. Cause I definitely would have said no. And she's like, but I'm going to do more than uh, you know, grant forgiveness. She's like, keep doing it. She's like, your team is the happiest, healthiest team that I see in this whole operation at the moment. And I know your demands are no less than everybody else's. It's just that they do feel all those things that you intended, um, you know, their endorphins are going, they were, you know, their health was improving. They had more energy. They were sleeping better. Um, whatever they decided to do in that hour was theirs that week, but with an accountability partner, they stuck to it and it was noticed. Um, so that kind of inspired this rebel to be well inception.
0: So why did you become a nurse in the first place and why are you so loyal to that profession?
1: Mm, That's a good question. So my middle sister, um, is a nurse. She's just an incredible human. Um, and at the time, uh, my husband had a career that we were traveling quite a bit and we already had a young daughter. Our oldest was born when we were pretty young and I knew I just wanted something that could be maybe a little bit more mobile, um. I had done a few things in healthcare. My first undergrad was in psychology. I was going to go into counseling, but it's a little tricky to kind of uproot every six, three to six months and mm-hmm. go, you know, into different counseling offices or getting a master. So I, my sister, encouraged me to look at nursing, and and I did, and went through the program, and um, was, I met two of my still to this day best friends in the program, and was so inspired by the people that were in the program that I was in because most of us had other degrees and were coming back at least you know, 25 to 40 years old. Like we were kind of your non-traditional students. Um, and then I got to meet more and more nurses and I was like, these people are kick ass. Like, (laughs) I mean, and I have a lot of physician friends and I love them dearly, but I am telling you like the drivers in healthcare are nurses. I mean, and I've sat in a lot of seats in the healthcare space and the drivers are the nurses and they will make or break, so many people's day or life and the power that they hold and the potential they hold is endless. And maybe I kind of was like fighting a little bit for the underdog too, because in healthcare, I think through the pandemic, that's changed maybe a little bit, but, um, nurses, in my opinion, continue to need to be elevated in the hierarchy of healthcare. And, um, I had, uh, another female nurse leader who really inspired me to, to keep on this track. And that was Julie Schmidt, who I also mm-hmm. interviewed and she was a huge inspiration. She went back and got her MBA. I think, you know, and she said in our interview, she was hired to start Woodman's hospital, which is one of the most unique, in, uh, innovative hospitals of its time. And they said, you know, it was really, she got her MBA from Carlson school of business one of the top 10 business schools in the country, but they think she believes they hired her cause she had her background in nursing. Um, and so I just saw this beautiful merger be- and potential between nursing and leading in healthcare, care um, and just kind of went forward with it and knew, I mean, kind of all through my career, you know, growing up watching leaders, I had some concept of leadership, um, the leadership language, I'll put it that way. So I could kind of talk the talk at a pretty early age in my career. Um, but I had a little bit of that rebel rouser who would be like, yeah, I'm going to just, I'm going to be the squeaky voice. Not annoyingly or else I probably would have gotten very far, but I was going to push um, for things that were just, you know, I felt like needed to be heard and brought to attention. Um, and I do really feel that way about nursing and you know, anytime I've heard people say something like, oh, you know, you're just a nurse. Um, I'm kind of like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I just sit with it and I kind of go, well, that's good. Cause you probably haven't been sick in the hospital. So you're yeah, lucky, right. like, right. But I have seen nurses do the most amazing things ever um, in my lifetime for me, for my family, for others as leaders. It's just a profession that I think needs to continue to have a stronger voice in where we head in healthcare, and some of the people that have stuck with me and always will are nurses. and And I've been around a lot of different people, but nurses hold something really different intrinsically. Their compass is just a little different, and what in how they care for others and how they look at life. Sometimes to their own detriment, um, but yeah, it's just a profession I'm really passionate about.
0: So usually we're having this recording session mm-hmm. in the tattoo room at Self-Esteem Brands, yep. right? And you always ask people, what would you, if, if you had a tattoo that, you know, just absolutely embodied what you feel, what, what you are all about, what would it be? Mm-hmm. So I asked you that question. Mm-hmm. What, would, what would your one tattoo be that mm-hmm. uh, if you had to, uh, or if you decided to tattoo yourself with it, what would mm-hmm. it be? What
1: would it be? Well, I do have a couple tattoos.
0: Okay.
1: you know, I'm a rebel rebel. You can't have, you can't right. have a rebel Rouser without a tattoo or two. Right. Um, so the one I'll, I'll talk about and, and most of them for me, and I give my daughters the same advice. I'm like, if you're going to get a tattoo, just make sure you can hide it. Like, you know, preferably not here right. or like here right. or, you know, um, so most people never even see my tattoos, but I have, um, the, the most meaningful tattoo for me is actually, uh, my, the name of my dad's book. So to win, play boldly, uh, a little bit after he passed, um, a couple of my nephews and nieces, uh, wanted to get a tattoo also to kind of represent my dad's life. And trust me, my dad was not a tattoo guy. So I'm always like, mm, is grandpa going to be like, yeah, what right. the hell is going on over there? <laughs> like it's both lightning or, um, but you know, I was also like, you know, he, interestingly enough, I'll make this point about my dad is, um he was kind of a rebel rouser himself too. So like he lived a traditional kind of conservative Christian corporate life, but he pushed through things that were so non-traditional and he pushed for things that were non-traditional. And he, um, he was willing to like, there were some times where I would be like, dad, like don't it down. Like this is embarrassing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we think, like, and he would push. Right. So he had a little rebel rouser in him too. So I'm like, I think he's going to be okay with us. But so we, we, In his handwriting, we're able... Because we have his handwriting in some of our books that he um, signed. And so we, in his handwriting, put Twin Play Boldly. Um, And then a couple of his grandkids chose to put uh, Twin Play Boldly in my mom's signature. Hmm. Um, Because, you know, and I'm thinking of our podcast here and some of it, so much of our family's life centered around my dad and he was kind of, you know, an enigma, right. And, uh, lived this big life with a lot of big stories, but my mom, um, played a huge role in that. And she was just a beautiful, wonderful human. So when a couple in particular, my oldest daughter was like, I want to get it in grandma's handwriting. I was like, Oh, hmm. I love that. Right. So he couldn't have ever to, to win play boldly without her. Um, she was a supporting, huge supporting role in his life. And it, incredible human. Um, and they both have kind of erupted here for me in different ways over the last, uh, handful of years. Mm. Um, but I have twin play boldly, my dad's handwriting on my body and so do more than half of his grandkids. So yeah, I told them that's their 18th birthday present for me if they want to get one. It's on Aunt Krista or mom. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, my kids are like, so wait, you want me to get a tattoo? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe. You
0: are a rabble rabble.
1: I am, you know, hey. I guess there are worse things you could be called, but yeah. So it makes for good stories. Life is about good stories. So,
0: well, Krista, thank you so much for hosting us up here. And uh, thanks for sharing
1: yeah thank you for being willing to come up here it was a little bit of a hike um, in in the winter here but thanks for being inquisitive and inquiring about the history here i appreciate it it's a good thing to have documented i want to say a special thank you to everyone at self-esteem brands the parent company of anytime fitness waxing the city bar method stronger you nutrition and base camp fitness We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. You are a true example of what it means to rebel and be well. You can learn more about self-esteem brands via the link shared in the show notes below. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every event at the point retreats. As a health and wellness platform, we are grateful to have a pure and unique wine that is free of sugar and additives, grown on small family farms, and brings a bright and soulful and vibrant glass of wine to share with the community we love. Cheers to our Dry Farm wine friends and family. You can learn more and order your own bottles of Dry Farm wine by clicking the link provided in the show notes below. That simple and serene moment when we glide across the lake at the point retreats on our Paddle North paddleboard is one of the most cherished moments. It's a gift when we and our guests blend into nature and lose track of time and space as we soar across the pristine whitefish chain of lakes. Thank you Paddle North for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle that brings great clarity and balance. Click on the link provided in the show notes below to see all the incredible lake gear available with Paddle North. The Point retreats and rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside Brainerd, Minnesota. The property's private peninsula boasts over 1,500 feet of stunning shoreline, spanning three lakes on the Whitefish chain of lakes. The Point property is owned by two purpose-driven leaders who share a strong desire to lead others to optimal health and well-being. Our team believes in proactive, modern-day health shifting our mindsets to valuing quality of life in the same capacity as we value quantity of life. We aim for every experience at The Point to enhance and deepen your whole being health by providing many opportunities for well care during your stay. Whether you need time to renew, reset, or reconnect, we have a space that can host your family, group, or team. Click on the show notes below to find out more about The Point Retreats and The Point
0: Rentals.